You're listening to a live recording from one of our midweek services here at Cornerstone Church in Salisbury, North Carolina. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. We believe this message will be a blessing to your life. In this installment of our series, Who is God? Pastor Brandon Spiker will be revealing to us the one true God. We hope you're ready for this life-changing message. It's time to come into a greater understanding of who God is. Are you ready for the word tonight? Let me try this church over here. You ready for the word tonight? You got your little notebook? Good. 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 Again, if you need any scriptures, I guess I hurt Miss Spears' feelings not emailing her because she ain't here tonight. So I guess her feelings are hurt. So got to send that email. Well, we're going to talk about tonight on the subject of one true God, and this will kind of wrap up our discussion here, and next uh, few weeks we'll go into Christ the healer, and we're going to go into several different things about the Lord, but we're finishing up this segment of it tonight, and um, really want to tackle this because... Somebody said, boy, you've been talking about this for four weeks. Yeah, I have because it is important. Amen. And it's important because it really is one of the main doctrines of the New Testament. And uh, we want to make sure you understand that and get into that. Um, Now, when we say our God is one, we we believe that the New Testament is, uh, really is a greater revelation, uh, but we believe that the Old Testament is the foundation. Everybody say the foundation. Uh, it's like this. Before you can actually read, you have to know your ABCs, right? Uh, you got to know your ABCs before you can actually read. So for you to really understand the New Testament uh, and God, we've got to start really at the beginning. Uh, I said this a few weeks ago that a lot of people try to understand the new covenant without first under, or understanding the New Testament but without going through the Old Testament to see the shadow and types of Christ in everything. And, to, and I'll tell you this, you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. He's there from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But you got to start at the New Testament. Now, l- listen to this. And the Old Testament has already defined God. In both Testaments, we know what are true. Amen? How many of you know that it's the infallible Word of God? We believe from the beginning to the end of the book and everything in between. There's nothing in it that's wrong, that's missing. Amen? Uh, how many of you believe that one is not going to contradict the other either? If you have a revelation and an understanding of it, you understand that it does not contradict each other. So what we learn in the basics, which is the Old Testament, and if we think about it, that's how really the early church learned. You know, right, that the disciples did not have the New Testament or the apostles did not have the New Testament like you and I have. They wrote it. So what did they go by? What did they follow? They went by what? The Old Testament. That's how they operated. That's the teachings 
that they function in and their teachings they experience with Christ. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Let's read here. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? Now, what is important about this for you to understand is that every practicing Jew in the Old Testament had to make this their confession. You had to confess as a believer in Jehovah that there is one God. It's all the way through the Old Testament. They had to constantly confess. Matter of fact, you could not be a Jew if you believed in more than one God. So they constantly had to confess in Judaism that there is one God. There is one Lord. There is one Savior. There is one God. So we know based off of the Old Testament all the way through, that God is one. He establishes constant. He says, there is one God, and there is no other gods before me. He's constantly establishing that. Can you say amen to that? Now, as we look at the New Testament, we understand, and we're going to go to Jeremiah 23, 5, and 6 here, that really Jesus is Jehovah, the Lord. Uh, he's the Lord in King, or he is Jesus. How many of you have ever seen that? Jesus is Lord. It is translated that Jesus is Jehovah. Now let's read here in verse uh, chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, and I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Verse 6. And in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord of our righteousness. Now we know from the New Testament, starting in the book of Matthew, that Jesus was what? The son of David. So our, even in the Old Testament here, we're reading in Jeremiah that it is foretelling or a prophecy of the Lord God who is coming into the earth that will be the righteous, that will be the right branch or the righteous branch, and that he will be the Lord of our righteousness. Now think about this. How can he be the Lord of your righteousness? Number one, in order to be a Lord of righteousness, you first have to be righteous. Can you say amen to that? So we understand that when Jesus came, manifested in the flesh, that he was sinless and blameless, 100% God, 100% human, but did no sin, went about living upright, living in righteousness. So because of his righteousness and the atonement he paid at Calvary for you and I, we have now been righteousness because of his righteousness. So he is our Lord of righteous because he has purchased our righteousness at Calvary and the cross. Can you say amen to that? Now that's good right there because that should make you shout. Because how many of you know you were messed up, broke up, jacked up, slammed up, dunked up, tore up from the floor up, and then Jesus walks in and then totally says, that's all right, I took it upon myself at Calvary, past, present, and future. 
And now you are called the righteousness in Christ Jesus because of what has been accomplished at the cross 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Somebody said, well, I don't believe, I don't feel like I'm righteous because you don't believe you're righteous. Because whatever you believe affects your thinking and your emotions. And it goes from your thinking and your emotions to your behavior and your actions. You have to believe you're righteous. The more sin conscious you are, the more you will sin in your life. Did you hear that? The more sin conscious you are in your mind, the more sin will be produced in your life. The more righteous conscience you are in your life, the more righteousness you'll produce in your behavior because you are not dependent upon your works of the flesh, but you are dependent on what he has done at Calvary, Calvary and recognizing that he has already won the victory for you. I'm telling you, if that don't crank your truck up, I don't know what, what will. Amen. My Lord, I'm telling you, I couldn't do it. If I could have saved myself, I would have did it a long time ago. And if if I could have saved myself, there would have been no need for Jesus going on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. But thank God the creator of the heavens and the earth came down, walked among men in flesh, and went to the, lived a sinless life. And yet they tried to trick him and turn on him and do everything. But it was all a setup to go up to bring about righteousness in those who will call upon his name and shall be saved. Can you say amen? The name only works because it's a righteous name. It's a name without sin. It's a name that is blameless. It is a name by which men is saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? That's his name. So, 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 so listen to this. Let's, let's get in this. Jesus is Jehovah. Go to John chapter 8, verse 58. He says, and Jesus said unto them, verily. Now, look, what he, now think about what he's talking about here. You feel that? <laughs> verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 9, through verse 12 in the Amplified. And now behold... The cry of the Israelites have come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, he said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will surely be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay. Uh. Let's see. Then it goes on to say he where um, 
Moses has asked him, he goes, well, who do I tell him sent me? He said, you tell him I, who? Okay, you tell him I am sent you. Okay, and then Jesus says in John 8, 58, put that back up there. I am. Now, if you go back and read Exodus chapter 3, when he was approaching the bush, because he was talk, a bush was talking to him. Now, next time you think people are getting cuckoo, at least you're not talking to a bush. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and that God spoke out of the bush. Who do you think that angel was? Who do you think the angel was? It was Jesus there with him at the bush and he says, you tell him I am sent you. Now, if he was God then, and then in John 5, 8, he says, I am, I was, I am then, and I am right now. There ain't no different. Can you say amen to that? Well, that's good right there. Can you say amen? Now, go to Acts chapter 9, verse 5. Now, I love this. If you want to know one of my favorite passages uh of scripture is Acts chapter 9. Boy, you can get some good stuff out of this. Just really bless you. I mean, this thing will become real to you. Now, this is talking about Saul, okay? How many of you know Saul was educated and informed as a theologian, okay? Matter of fact, if you do a study about the, about the life of... He's Paul now, but he was Saul... The power of God hit him so hard it took the S off and stuck a P there. Just changed his name. I mean, I was scared growing up when the Lord touched me. He'd change my name from Brandon to Andon or something. Just, yeah. But that's the thing. When you really get a touch from God, he changes everything about your life. The God of creation comes down and touches you. It's a miracle you even survive it. Think about that. When God, you really have an encounter with God, He changes everything about your life. I mean, He'll zap you. Saul was on his donkey and fell to the ground. He got converted on the way down to the ground. He was innocent. And then He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am who? Whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the prick. Now he asked and answered the question at the same time. Who art thou, Lord? He said who he was and asked the question at the same time. He's having a revelation here. The person he studied about through all the Old Testament has now revealed himself unto him and he's experiencing him in a powerful way. Can you say amen to that? Now, I gave you some, I got some scriptures for you to write down. Are you ready for them? I'm not going to read all these. But 
because we'd be here all night. But gotta send that email. We honor Pastor Tina tonight. Good. We love her, appreciate her. Y'all ready? Zechariah chapter 11, verse 4 and verse 12. Zechariah 12, verse 1 and 10. Zechariah 14, 3 through 5. Isaiah 45, 23, Philippians 2, 10, Isaiah 43, 40, verse 3, Matthew 3, 3, Psalms 136, 3, and Revelation 19, or 19, 16. Now, this is not in my, I didn't put this in there, but go, go to Luke chapter 3, verse 16 in your Bible. I'm feeling this right here. Luke 3.16. I don't know if you... Oh, you you good. And John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the what? In fire. Now, this is the same Jesus that Paul, Saul, who became Paul, experienced in Acts chapter 9. So he's talking about, he's the forerunner of Christ, one of the last Old Testament prophets here, you see, that is prophesying God really among men or with men, Emmanuel, God with us. He's prophesying, but he says, listen, when he comes, things ain't going to stay the same. Things ain't going to be normal. There's going to be a disruption. Everybody say disruption. Matter of fact, Jesus said in one of the verses, he said, he said I, I didn't come to really make peace. He said, I came to tear up some things. And, and, and light a fire. I've, I've come, to, come to really turn the heat on. But it's not just about you being empowered to speak in another language or being empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it's also Him, also him burning everything out that is not of Him. Did you hear what I said? I always tell people, you're going to get the fire one way or another. You get the fire now, which is a lot better. You get the fire at the judgment seat of Christ, or you get hellfire. <laughs> those are the three fires. You get those fires. Now, somebody said, what, what, what is the fire at the judgment seat of Christ? It'll be 
everything that is not eternal or doesn't have eternal fruit, everything in that fire, the Bible talks about hay, wood, and stubble. That the hay, wood, and stubble in your life or in our lives that do not produce any fruit, which is pretty much religion, will all be burned up in that fire. And the only thing that will remain is that which was pure or that which was holy or that which was fruitful in your life. How many of you know there, you, there's, the Bible talks that will cast crowns down at his feet. So when you, when you experience the Holy Ghost and you're filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues... And then you experience the fire of God. He burns those things out that are not of him so that you can produce eternal treasure so that when you stand before him, you'll have a crown to cast at his feet. Ain't that good? I don't know. About, so, so when we talk about crowns here, so we, we know ultimately that this is talking about people. Because the only thing you and I can take with us when we step from this realm into the next is people. You can't take, you can't take your car. You can't take the Bentley. Kathy Wall, she got her, I went to her retirement party today. You can't take that new Bentley they gave you. No, I'm just kidding. Can't take it to heaven, Kathy. You can't take a Bentley. You can't take all the millions of dollars in your banking account. You can't take it. The only thing you can take with you is people. That's why it's important for everybody to really know who God is. Because how can you tell others if you don't know who he is? And if you never have an encounter with him, that's why people don't come to church no more. Because we there, there ain't people in the church that know him and don't have an encounter with him. People are tired of dead religion, religious, you know, things and just singing things and nothing really changing on the inside. They want, I mean, most people in the church, you know. We'll, we'll just say outside of cornerstone. Most people in the, in the religious world are depressed and broken, oppressed and all these different things. And they're dealing with the same things that the world is dealing with. So when the world comes in, they see people that look like them, but don't have no joy, don't have no peace, don't have nothing to fight for, nothing to live for. And the reason why is because we haven't really experienced who Jesus is in our life and been baptized, come on somebody, in the Holy Ghost in fire. I didn't come here to preach tonight, but I might as well go ahead. They, we need people who have had a radical experience that'll lay themselves on the altar and say, God, I'm not going to move till you do something in me and reveal yourself to me like you did, Lord. I don't care if I got to stand on my head and clap my feet together 
turn my clothes on the inside out and wear them. Whatever I've got to do, I got to experience you because I need some, I need some fruit for eternity, but I need a testimony to tell somebody about how good, how awesome, how real you really are. That you're not just some God on a statue. You're not on the cross. You're not in the tomb. You're not somewhere up in the sky, but you're living on the inside of me, dwelling on the inside of me. Let me tell you something. You can't call out to him and he not answer you. You know who he is and you start calling for him. He'll reveal himself to you. And it won't be a religious way either. You know, but when you start calling, you've got to be open. A lot of us want God to do something for it, but we have a preconceived idea or way of how we want him to do it. God, you can touch me, but don't make me fall out on the ground. God, you can touch me, but don't make me speak that language. <laughs> that, you know, that, that, that weird, you know, stuff. Those, those other people in church. Don't... Don't do that to me. God says, no, I'm not going to touch you the way you want me to touch you. If you want to experience me, you've got to open yourself up, be vulnerable and say, Lord, I don't care how you do it. Just do it in me so you can do it through me. Amen. Amen to that. You, You have to be hungry for that. You have to take the limitations off. You got to be vibrant with it. You got to be aggressive with it. I mean, I, I, I told the staff on um, what day? It's Wednesday. That's right. <laughs> told the staff Tuesday. <laughs> Bear with me here. Told the staff Tuesday. I, I said, uh, how many of you got children? And they raise their How many of you got children in here? How many of you ladies have given birth to children here? Or you got children? How many of you, it don't matter if your kid is crazy, but if somebody else messes with them. Somebody else say something bad about them. Then y'all get crazy with them. Am I right about it? Somebody talk down to your kid or, or something like that. What you, I don't know who you think you're talking to. That's my child. I'll discipline my child. Matter of fact, your kid could be like ready to jump off a cliff and the person's yelling at him and screaming and you're yelling at the person screaming to your kid who's about to jump off the cliff because it's just in you. But suddenly there's an aggressiveness that comes out of you. Am I right about it? Like you, I mean, your blood starts pumping and you start, I mean, it it just goes from, from, 10 to 100 real quick. But that's how we should be when it comes to our relationship and experiencing God. It's got to go to 100 quick. He said, I'd rather you be hot than cold than lukewarm. You got to be on a 10 every time. And on your 10, and you know, we've been talking about this for a month now. But really, there's not enough of teaching to convince you. It's something you have to experience 
it's not something that can be taught. It's something that has to be caught on the inside of your spirit that says, listen, I didn't just read about the man in the book, but I experienced the man in the book. He became real to me. He came off the pages and moved in on the inside of me. Can you say amen? That's what we have to strive for. We've got we've to put a demand. God, we need your power. We need your fire. We need your Holy Ghost. We need your anointing because that's what's going to deliver the drug addict. And that's what's going to deliver the person that is struggling with alcohol. It ain't saying a prayer down at the altar. It's somebody having an encounter with the man in the book from Genesis to Revelation. It, it, it's, it's about having an encounter. Can you say amen? It's about having an encounter with the creator that we read in Genesis and the redeemer that we read in Exodus and the sanctification that we read in Leviticus. It's about having an encounter with God. And his name is Jesus. Can you say amen to that? I love him. This is something that's got to be caught in your spirit. But that'll never happen until you get hungry for it. How many of you have found yourself frustrated lately? Let me tell you a revelation about frustration. Or let me tell you about frustration. Frustration will always breed or produce revelation. Because when you're frustrated, you start looking for answers. You start looking for things. You start looking and, and you really think that it's just the devil fighting you. But it could it be that God's making you frustrated and unsatisfied where you are because he's trying to tell you there's a, greater, there's a greater part of me I want to reveal to you. But I've got to get you out of your comfort zone where you are now so you can see it. Can you say amen to that? When you get frustrated, it could be God trying to push you out of your comfort zone. Because when you're, when you're desperate, you'll do things you've never done. <laughs> you'll go places you've never gone. And you'll say things you never said. And you'll put yourself... You'll be like Zacchaeus. You'll climb on the end of the branch to see Jesus when you're desperate. You'd be like the woman with the issue of the blood that if she was called in town, she would have been killed. But she knew that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can, if I can just touch him, I, everything that is on the inside of me will be healed. But I've got to get out of my comfort zone and get to where he is. The only way you get out is to get frustrated where you are. Can you say amen? Is this good? Okay. Going to answer some questions here. Lord, help us. And I, I, I'm just going to answer them because you wrote them. So I'll answer them. Amen? Okay. Let's start with this one. Now, this is someone asking me this question. They're asking me personally, so I'm going to answer it. So don't take it personally how I responded, because you asked me personally. Okay. 
Somebody asked me, they said, are you Jesus only? They asked me that question. This is my answer. I am Jesus everything. I'm everything. And to put things really in proper context, I believe that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. And I believe that everything is from him because John, what, 858, if you put it up there. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you before Abraham was. So I'm Jesus everything. If somebody asks you, what's your pastor? He's Jesus everything. From the beginning to the end, Jesus. It's all about, because who can save man from his sin? Amen. And all from the other. Next question, somebody asked me, why do we baptize in the name of Jesus and not according to Matthew 28, 19? Great question. Can you pull that up for me, Matthew 28, 19? Go ye all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the whole end of the Holy Ghost. Okay? This is really simple and easy. I'm glad you asked this question. It's really simple. And the reason why this is very simple is because these right here are not names. They're titles. Okay? Every single one of these here, how many of you know, I'm a father. I have two kids, Isaac and Gracie. You don't run around calling me father though, right? How many of you know pastor is a title? Okay? In the name of pastor. Okay, you see how that sounds? Okay. So here, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, those, what? Those are all, we talked about, I, what? I am a spirit, live in a body, I have a soul, right? I am a father to Isaac and Gracie. I am a son to Carlene and Neil, okay? All right? And I have a spirit. But at the end of the day, I'm Brandon, Okay? The other reason why we baptize in the name of Jesus and not according to Matthew 28, we are not saying that Matthew 28 is not biblical. How many know it's in the Bible? We believe Matthew 28, 19. But we started Acts chapter 2. We understand that these are not names, they're titles, but we don't see anywhere in the Old or New Testament that any apostle baptized this way at all. Starting right all the way through the Gospels of John, the book of Acts, all the way through the Revelation. Anytime anyone was ever baptized was in the name of Christ, starting with Acts 2.38. Let's go there. And Peter said unto them, repent and be... Now this is Peter, okay? He preached in the first sermon, right? Repent and be ye baptized, everyone in the what? For the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, go to Acts 4.12 here. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Okay, 
Go to Acts chapter 10, verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Who is that? Jesus. And they, and they then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Okay, Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why tarest thou rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on what? The name of the Lord. So everywhere we read, we, we do this in accordance to the word of God in the New Testament. Because we're under the new covenant. Amen? Does that make sense to you? Everybody understand that? Great. Fantastic. That's why it's, you know, we, we, and I'll tell you this, the Bible says that there's no name by which men are saved. It is the name of Christ. It is by that name that salvation is given, the remission of sins. Talks about, and the Bible even talks about, that baptism is described as just as Noah was escaping the flood in the ark. So when we baptize, we put an importance on that. Because that's every time the apostles preach. The Bible says, starting with Acts chapter 2, after the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that there were over 3,000 baptized within the same hour. So it emphasizes the importance of going down in the water. What happens when you go down in the water? The old man is what? Buried. And the new man is resurrected. It is no longer me that liveth, but Christ within me that liveth. For I have been crucified with Christ. And when you go in the water and back up, you are signifying that you have also been resurrected with Christ. Ain't that powerful? The one that raised himself from the dead has now raised you from the dead spiritually. Can you say amen? amen. And baptism is really is, is the initial part of your relationship. It's confessing with your mouth. You have to confess with your mouth. Peter, Paul said, if I confess with my mouth, what? By faith, I shall be what? Saved. But then it goes on, we read in Acts that when we are baptized in his name, that that is a part of our relationship or our way of surrendering to Christ and the old sin nature, the old dynamic behavior is washed away and it symbolizes that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's why we do it every single month. Because... There are people who need to know that their past is no longer going to be held against them. Can you say amen? How many of you, are, how many of you had a bad past? Even when you grew up in the church, you had a bad past. But isn't it amazing to know that all that can be washed away? And that you've been marked by the name of Christ. The, the name of Christ. 
that when the enemy sees you, he sees the name on you. Do you feel that? That when the enemy comes, he sees that you've been marked by the name of Christ. That everywhere you go, you carry that name with you. And at that name, they said to them, they said, we've heard of Paul and we've heard of Jesus, but we've never heard of you. But when you have the name of Jesus, it, it, it don't matter what's in your way or what's standing in your way. You've got the name that will save you. You've got the name that will redeem you. And you've got the name that will deliver you. And you've got the name that will secure your future. Can you say amen to that? That's why we do it. How many of that makes sense to you, don't it? And it's simple. It's not complicated because the gospel isn't complicated. The power is in the simplicity of the gospel. It's in the simplicity of who Christ is. It's in the simplicity of what he has done for you. And it's in the simplicity of his name that you've been marked by. Can you stay amen? amen. Can you stand to your feet tonight? Does this bless you tonight? If I had time, I'd tell you who Jesus was in every 66 books of the Bible. <laughs> I ran out of time. Sorry. Maybe we'll work on that next week. So Maybe I'll give you a copy of them. How do you like that? So you don't have to write down all 66. Amen. But we'll, we'll get this to you next week. So you can have a copy of it and... You can find Jesus in every book. Amen. Be awesome for you. It takes a lot of work to do all that stuff. This is what I'm going to pray for you this week. I'm going to pray that between now and Sunday that you're going to encounter the Lord in a special way. Supernaturally. I'm going to pray that He reveals Himself to you in a powerful way that gives you an urge or an urgency to share your faith with others others let me say this say if this right here is the cure for AIDS Dr. Obi and I have this, and everybody around me has AIDS. They're dying with it. But I know I've got the cure. But I'm holding on to it. Because I'm afraid it's going to run out. Or I'm, gonna, I'm afraid that people get wind of what they're going to think of me. and All the different kinds of things that run through our mouth. But yeah, I'm holding the cure 
and everybody's dying around. When we know who Christ is and He lives on the inside of us, it's the same thing. We're holding the cure, but we're afraid to give it because it might run out. You got it. That's why you got. You got to understand. When you meet Him, you have the cure. When He lives on the inside of you, you got the cure. You got the cure. You got the cure, Larry. Even Cindy, she's got the cure. Everybody's got the cure in here. You got the cure. Now it's time for you to share it. Share it. Share the cure. Share the cure. Because when you stand before Him, you'll have a crown to cast at His feet. Can you say amen to that? Lord, we thank you. I speak blessings upon your people tonight. That they'll go from this place with a greater revelation and understanding of who you are, God. That you'll reveal it to them in a greater way, Lord. That even this week they'll have an encounter with you and they'll have to grab somebody and shake them and say, you got to come with me to Cornerstone because you got to meet this Jesus. You got to meet, you, you got to be baptized in his name. You got you to gotta have your sins washed away and you got to be marked by the name of Christ. Lord, let your fire fall on them tonight. That even as they go home and they lay their head on the pillow, they'll wake up and have a supernatural experience. In Jesus' mighty name, I speak favor. I seek blessings. And I thank you that when we come back Sunday, we'll be a room full of testimonies of your goodness and your power. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. I hope you're blessed tonight. Love you. Wow, what a powerful message from Pastor Brandon Spiker. If you've been blessed by this message, we want to encourage you to head over to www.mycornerstone.church or the Church Center app where you can share your testimony with us. We'd love to hear it. Here you can also send in any prayer requests and we also ask that you consider sowing into Cornerstone so that we can continue to reach people all around the world. While you're there, you can also check out all of our upcoming events. We have something for the entire family. Come and join us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. You can also join Cornerstone Espanol, our Spanish-speaking service, on Sundays at 1 p.m. Your family is always welcome here. We love you. Thanks so much for listening. God bless.